The Bottomless Pit by Bill True Episode 2 The Hole in the Ground June 30th, 1977 Entry number 2 Dear Journal Ha ha! How about that? Two entries in one day. When I last left you, Paul was snoring away. When he woke up, we were going to take another look at that hole. I got him up a little before six. He complained some, but I told him to can it. My mom and dad were still sleeping, so that meant if we hurried, we could make a break for it before they woke up and found some work for me to do. We hurried and got dressed, then snuck out of my room as quietly as possible. We ate some cereal and Paul filled a canteen with water while I searched around for a flashlight to shine some light down there to see better inside the hole. We also grabbed two sturdy ropes from the barn. No one was going to fall into that hole today. We headed out right as the sun peeked over the tops of the corn tassels. By the time we got back to the hole, it was already light out. We tied the ropes around a nearby tree trunk using lots of knots. Then we tied each one around ourselves at the waist. The ropes were pretty long, so we had enough room to move down by the hole, but not too long, so that if we fell in, we wouldn't fall very far. We got down on our stomachs and crawled army man style down into the crater. Inside the hole was pitch black, even with the sunlight beaming directly down inside of it. I got out my dad's flashlight to shine down there to see if it helped us see any better. We could see the beam go way, way far, as far as the eye could see. But all it did was fade into blackness. Paul and I looked at each other, kind of dumbfounded. Then I did something really stupid. I lost the grip on the flashlight. I tried to grab it, but I couldn't. Down it went into the hole. I started having a mini tantrum because if my dad found out I took his flashlight, his best, most expensive one, and that I had lost it, he'd have my hide. Shut up, Paul said. He was pointing down into the hole. Look. The flashlight was heavier on the battery side, so the beam of light pointed up at us. It was still falling. The light looked like a little point. I remember thinking it looked just like the star I saw the morning I started writing this journal. I don't know why, but I suddenly felt cold prickles run up the back of my neck and they made me get the shivers. All this time, the light kept getting smaller and smaller. We watched it until it was too faint to see anymore. I finally turned to Paul and was about to say something, but he raised his hand and said, Shh. I understood what he was doing, so I did it too. We waited like that, in total quiet, for what seemed like forever, at least 15 minutes or so. But what we were waiting for never happened. No noise. Not a plop or a ploof or anything. We couldn't hear the flashlight hit bottom. How deep can this thing be, I asked, more to the trees and the birds and the squirrels than anyone else. Paul crept out of the crater and started snooping around on the ground. What are you looking for? Paul snatched up a golf ball-sized rock. He held it up for me to see. No, no, no. That thing's not even as big as the flashlight. If we couldn't hear that hit bottom, we'll never hear that puny thing. Then, Paul's all, you have a better idea? I sure did. I led Paul to this one place way out on our neighbor's land where no one ever goes. It used to be some old pioneer shack. I'm not supposed to go out there because there's no trespassing on that guy's land, but I do it anyway, because I figure if I discovered the place, at least I had some kind of claim to it. Anyway, everything's all fallen down now. You'd barely even guess there was ever a house there. I like to go out there when I want to be all by myself. 
I pretend like I'm some settler from the olden days, just like my great-grandma was when she was a little girl in South Dakota, living with the Indians on the reservation and fighting off wild animals and stuff like that. And it just makes me feel good to be out there. I can think. But okay, back to the story. See, there's this big old fireplace that's still half-standing. It's made of all these huge rocks, bigger than your head. But now lots of them have fallen down, and they're just lying on the ground. So I showed all this to Paul. After we got there, I was wondering why, you know, since he was my best friend, I'd never shown him this place. I guess because this was kind of a secret place for me? Paul didn't say anything, but I think he was a little hurt. I know I should feel bad about that, but if I'm honest, I don't really. Paul's been kind of a traitor over the last year, so even though I should feel guilty, I was pretty much thinking it served him right. Soon we were heading back to the hole, carrying this monster-sized rock. Paul in front, walking backward, me in back. It took a while, but we finally got it there. After almost draining all our water because of how thirsty we were, we taught our ropes on again, then we heaved that monster rock into the crater. It slid down, almost to the hole, but not quite over the edge yet. Good. Then, we lowered ourselves back in, our heads in prime listening position. The rock was between us and we shoved it over the ledge and into the hole. We waited. And waited. We waited until we couldn't stand it anymore. Nothing. What was this thing? It seemed too deep to be some underground cave. Who knew how deep it was anyway? It seemed to go on forever. Paul and me walked home completely quiet. The only thing that broke the silence was Paul saying, that's one deep hole. I laughed a little, but that was about it. When we got back, I had a yard to mow, so Paul went home. We agreed to try to think about what this hole might be and what to do next. I said I'd call him tomorrow. So, that's where things stand. Crazy, huh? July 1st, 1977. Dear Journal. Just checking in. Still don't know what to make of that big hole. I really ended up paying for yesterday. Finished mowing the yard today. Finally. Then had to help Dad clean out his work barn. Ick. Man, I wish I was any place but here. Haven't had a chance to call Paul yet. I'll keep in touch. July 2nd, 1977. Finally talked to Paul today. He had an idea, and I know it's a good one, but I still don't like it. He said we should show the hole to Andrew. I mean, I know, I know, Andrew's really smart, and he's probably memorized every fact and figure in three books about geology or something, so he knows exactly what this hole is and can explain it in terms even a dunderhead like me can understand. But dang it, it's not like I don't like Andrew. Don't get me wrong, I mean, I pretty much think of Paul as my best friend, but Andrew will always be a really good friend because he was my first friend. I mean, all the way back to first grade. I don't know. Sometimes I wish I had never gotten Paul and Andrew together. Heck, they wouldn't even be friends without me. They hated each other until I showed them that the other one wasn't such a bad guy after all, and they might actually turn out to like each other and be friends. That was the year before last, fourth grade. Then, in the school year that just ended, sixth, Andrew and I were in different classrooms for the first time since we started school, and he and Paul were together. Remember when I was talking about Paul being a traitor last year? Well, that's because when I was in class with Andrew, I was still friends with Paul and included him in on things. But did he do that for me in sixth? No way. Andrew and him got all exclusive and kind of snooty and kept things from me and didn't include me in on things lots of times. Like I was some reject. I know it's because they both think they're smarter than me. 
They kind of act all superior when they talk about things I have trouble following, like the historical and political significance of some war back in the Dark Ages when who really cares what happened? I don't know. Maybe they are smarter than me, but that doesn't mean I'm some dummy, does it? Boy, I tell you, I sure don't like feeling like one. So, you know what I do? I know this is wrong, but sometimes when they say something, some fact or something that I don't know, I say I know what they're talking about just so I don't look like a dummy. Like I said, I know that's not right, but I just hate to feel like a dummy with them around. Anyway, things were getting back to normal this summer. Paul doesn't really have a way into town unless my mom and dad takes him with us, so it's been him and me alone again. I forgive him for being a traitor, and now things are fine. But it's not like he ever apologized to me. And now he comes up with this. And on top of it, he already called Andrew and talked to him about it. Just like I wasn't in on this. And I suppose laughing with Andrew about what a dunce I am because I don't have a clue about what this hole is and they do. Well, he better remember who discovered the hole and whose land it's on. And who the leader is here. Ugh! He steams me sometimes. Like I said, I suppose having Andrew look at it is a good idea though. He's a friend too, and I guess I can trust him to keep his mouth shut. And I really want to know what's down there. I want to know if I can go explore down there without killing myself. Andrew probably won't come out here anyway. You know him. He's kind of funny about things. I gotta go to sleep. I guess I'll get this all figured out. I'm sure I will. July 5th, 1977. Dear Journal, I know I've been slacking off, but something happened. I'm still trying to figure out what to think about it. I'm kind of scared and excited and wondering all at the same time. I suppose I should start at the beginning. The day after my last entry, I called Andrew. I told him he should come out and look at the hole, but of course he said he wasn't sure he could. See, Andrew's kind of a funny guy. You ever hear of a game called Dungeons and Dragons? Well, if not, it's this new game Andrew discovered a while back, and now we all play it. In the game, you have this dungeon master who makes up these adventures and then acts as kind of like a narrator as you and some other people role-play through them. It's really a blast. Usually, someone creates dungeons with a handful of rooms and maybe five to ten levels for others to fight monsters, right? Not Andrew. He creates entire worlds, complete with detailed maps, entire cities, histories, mythology, and folklore spanning back thousands of years. And the adventures? Everyone is a doozy. Believe me. I mean, you ever read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings books? That Tolkien guy doesn't have anything on Andrew. Sometimes it boggles my mind how smart Andrew must be to do all of that stuff. But it makes me kind of mad, too, because even though he's a great dungeon master and I love playing the game with him, I start feeling a little bad. Like, I'm sure it means that he's some kind of a genius, and I'm not because I can't do all that like he does. Like, he has something really special he's really good at, and where's my thing, you know? Anyway, all this, and the guy is afraid to leave his house. Well, it's not exactly that bad, but almost. He'll go around town and stuff, but he doesn't like going to other people's houses. So, I poke at him a little bit. Column stuff like baby and wussy and a few other things, boy, he hates that. I remember once two winters ago, we had these two huge snow mountains on either side of our parking lot at school. You know, the kind snowplows make. We were all playing this game, kind of dopey, but fun. There's two teams. Each team takes turns, and on your turn, one guy from your team has to charge down your mountain and up the other team's mountain. The guys on the other team have to try to catch you. 
If they do, you have to be on their team now. If you don't get caught, your team gets you back and you also get one more guy from the other team. Andrew was on the other team and didn't want to rush our mountain. Plus, he didn't want to help his team get our guys when they ran up their mountain. His team got pretty sore at that. They called him Baby and other stuff like that, and we kind of did too. You could just see his face get redder and redder. And then suddenly, he goes berserk. He starts tearing down his hill, screaming at the top of his lungs, knocking guys down, hitting them, kicking them, you name it. Then he tears down our hill and up his own, doing the same thing to his own guys. Finally, we get him down on the ground. It takes a long time to get him settled down because he's thrashing around and hollering so much. So much so that Mrs. Peterson, our fourth grade teacher, comes over and says, Break it up! Of course, everyone that's trying to hold Andrew down gets in trouble, including me. Andrew gets up, and you can still see it in his eyes. He doesn't like to do scary or uncomfortable stuff, but he really hates being messed with. So like I said, I poked at him a little, but just a little. Not enough to get him mad, just enough to get him to groan and say, okay, 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 I'll take a look at it. But he couldn't come till after the 4th. His family was going to this camping spot they go to every summer, and they wouldn't be back until the 6th. Okay, I said, but come out then. He said he would. Promise, I asked. Promise, he told me. I like Andrew a lot, but you never know with him sometimes especially if you want him to do something he's not too keen on. So, that's what happened there. The next couple of days I didn't write because there wasn't anything really to write about. The fourth came and Paul called me and asked me if I wanted him to come over. I said no, that I was going with my parents to some country music jamboree and 4th of July party. I didn't go with him, though. I stayed home. I needed a break from Paul for a couple of days. I suppose the Andrew thing still had me steamed a bit? I don't know. So basically what I did for the next couple of days was just to sit alone by my hole and look at it, study it. I brought a new flashlight. My dad still hasn't found out I lost the other one. And I shined it down the hole, trying to see if I could see anything we missed earlier. But I couldn't see a thing. So I just sat there, hoping it was something really special. Something that would make me famous. Or even better, a real-life explorer. I sat there and let my mind wander as deep as it could go into that blackness. I dreamt it was some kind of underground labyrinth, just like in D&D. I thought about all the freaky monsters and weird creatures I would face, all the treasures I would plunder, all of the strange and cool and dangerous stuff that I could do. As the day went by, I really started to get the feeling that there must be something down there. There had to be. I could just feel it way down deep in my bones, and... It was like it was calling out to me. It was waiting for me to discover it. God, I prayed, please let me be able to go down there and look around. And please make it be something really cool and really special. Please hear my dreams and make them come true. Please, please, please. Anyway, after that, I took a deep breath and let it out again slowly. I felt better, kind of peaceful for a change. And that's when it happened. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It felt like I got ripped out of my body. I panicked and thought for a second that I'd accidentally lost my balance and fell into the hole. But it didn't feel like falling. It was pulling, yanking, really hard. I could feel I was moving, but I was going so fast it wasn't even a blur. It was more like a blink. And then I was standing somewhere. 
I don't know where, but it wasn't outside. I was in something, like a huge bubble. I could see there was an outside, but it was fuzzy and dark, like nighttime. There were lights all around the outside of the bubble, but if those were stars, there were way more than there usually were in the sky, and they looked way closer, too. When I looked down, I screamed. At first, I screamed because what I saw wasn't ground under my feet. It was more star-like lights, like I was in some ship in outer space. But I also screamed because my feet weren't touching ground or floor or anything. I was floating inside this thing. Wait, not floating. I felt something solid under my feet, but nothing was there. I didn't know what to think. I just wanted to wake up. I tried pinching myself, which didn't work. Then I tried slapping myself in the face really hard. It hurt bad, and I almost cried. If I was awake, it was going to leave a mark. And I remember thinking that I have to be awake because I'm not, you know, waking up. Then I know someone's behind me. I turn around, and there she is, the lady from my dream last week. Remember from the dream I had when I started my journal? Now I'm positive I'm dreaming. I can finally breathe a little. I look at the lady, though, and this time she's not smiling. She's not mean-looking, though. She just looks tired and really, really worried. And she's not dressed in a spacesuit either. Now she's wearing a dress, like something you'd see a girl wear if she was the queen in some D&D adventure or medieval movie. Her arms are stretched out, and her palms are up, and she's straining like she's trying to hold something up, but it's too heavy. She can't hold it much longer. She moves one of her hands, and whatever's pushing down on her pushes even harder now. It's crushing her, but she holds out her hand to me and waves for me to come closer. At first I don't move because I'm so scared. She waves again. This time she's desperate. She can't hold whatever this invisible thing is she's holding and waved to me at the same time for much longer. But I still can't do it. It's too much. But then her legs buckle. Now she's on one knee, just like I was when I was falling into the hole when Paul and I first found it. That clicked something in me, I guess, and I ran over to help her. But she didn't want me to help her. She grabbed one of my hands and turned it up. Then she held her hand over it. All of a the sudden, there was this blinding light between our hands. So bright I had to close my eyes. All I wanted to do was run, but whatever she was doing with my hand kept it there. I couldn't pull away. It felt like my hand was caught in solid rock. Then as quickly as that feeling came over my hand, it was gone. I opened my eyes a little and the light was gone too. But what was there instead made me even more freaked out. There, in my hand, it was my dad's flashlight. Not the new one I'd brought out the one I dropped and lost in the hole. Then I'm feeling this huge shoving feeling. Then another blink, and I'm back, sitting in the woods next to the hole. I jerk awake and lose my balance and almost fall into the hole. I catch myself the last second, though. When I'm doing that, though, I realize something is in my hand. I raise it up so I can see what's there. And it's the flashlight, my dad's flashlight. I'm just staring at it. I don't know what to say, what to think even. I'm so shocked my hand goes a little limp and the flashlight slips out and back into the hole. Crap, I finally say, more like a yell, as I try to catch it before it gets lost again. But no luck. A second later, and it's gone. Again.
It was all just pretty weird, so I hightail it back to the house, trying not to think about it. But all I can do is think about it. By the time I get back to the house, I've pretty much convinced myself it was all a dream, even the flashlight thing. I just fell asleep and wasn't quite awake yet. I just thought I was awake. Everyone's had dreams like that, where you have to think about whether something that happened was real or was it a dream. Everyone, right? It was almost dark when I got to the house. This is one of those times I really wished someone was home. It was way too quiet. I almost called Paul, but I knew there was no way he'd be able to get over here after dark to stay the night. And I also am pretty sure he'd think I was a moron for getting so freaked out over some dream. So I turned on the TV really loud for company. The $6 million man was on, so that was good. It was the one where Steve Austin meets Bigfoot. I missed it when it was on last fall, and I really wanted to see it. I'm happy to just watch it and not think about the dream or the hole in the ground or anything. During the commercial, I had to go to the bathroom. When I went to wash my hands, I saw something in the mirror. On my face. The mark. The one from slapping my dream self to wake me up. It was right there. On my cheek. Plain as day. I never did finish watching The Six Million Dollar Man. I just stood there in front of the mirror forever. And everything I was trying so hard not to think about came back like a flood. The lady. A week ago, I dreamed her. She's not real. She can't be. But the flashlight. That really happened, didn't it? And the mark right there on my cheek? And then I got pretty scared. Mom and Dad were still gone, so I ran around and turned on all the lights and made sure all the doors and the windows were locked. Then I crawled in my bed with my BB gun right next to me. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but it made me feel a little better anyways. At some point, I guess I fell asleep because I got woken up sometime after midnight. Mom and Dad finally getting home. Dad was complaining about all the lights on in the house. He'd be gunning for me tomorrow, but I didn't plan to be around to hear it. I set my alarm clock for five. I'm going to get up bright and early and head over to Paul's before Mom and Dad wake up. I need to talk to him. Andrew definitely needs to get out here right away. I know he'll listen to Paul. I don't even care how Paul gets him here. I'll say, tell him Jack's a big dummy and he needs someone smart enough to figure out what this really is. I'm going to hate that. But there's definitely something about that hole. Different than being just a big mysterious hole in the woods. Staring at the ceiling in the dark, I kept touching my face where the mark was and seeing the flashlight in my hand again, feeling the weight of it, feeling as it slipped from my grip and back into the hole. That wasn't a dream. That was real, I tell myself. This is real. I just keep saying that to myself quietly, over and over again. And then I think, holy smokes, is this it? Is this the adventure I've always wanted? Did God maybe answer my prayer, finally? I had no idea how I was going to sleep now. I just laid here staring at the ceiling forever until I realized I should write all of this down. So I did. I'm going to try to sleep now. I'll let you know what happens with Paul and Andrew. Wow. You have been listening to the Bottomless Pit Podcast, created by Bill True. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and also look for us on Facebook and Twitter. 
See you next time inside the bottomless pit.